Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. And right now, without further ado, here he is, the great bearded one, often mistaken for Michelangelo. Here's Dr. History. Michelangelo. That was the best I could do over <laughs> the spur of the moment. Yeah, spur of the moment. Okay. Don't rub it in. All right. Well, I'm going to say hi to uh, one of our listeners, Jay Hill, down in Texas. And he is sending me about 40 magazines of the old uh, Frontier Times magazines. Oh, my. And, uh, which I get a lot of stories out of some of those old magazines. So, But he's got quite a family history down there in Texas with uh, uh, the Texas Rangers and his family. And some had been kidnapped. And anyway, really? His family? Yeah. Quite, wow. a, quite a history that he's got down there in Texas. Was he on the right side of the law or the wrong side of the law? I, he didn't tell me. <laughs> <laughs> he did, he's not in jail. <laughs> hey, Jay, if you're listening, just send us your number and we'll send you some mail. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks, Jay. I appreciate that. And uh, last week I did mention Dennis and Roxy over there in California. They uh, sent me a couple of books uh, about the history of that area over there. So anyway, I, I appreciate getting information from uh, listeners. And uh, so I'm always open for suggestions for new stories. Absolutely. So, now, you told me this morning when you walked in that you had a story about some dumb criminals outlaws and this comes from a book called arizona outlaws and lawmen oh, by, i've got a copy of that do you by yeah. marshall trimble i do yeah, yeah. and uh, so i kind of take some of this information from some of his information that he's got here so the first guy i'm going to talk about is a guy named anthony blum 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 b-l-u-m so okay. you know there's strange things that happen in a court and down in cochise county there was a scoundrel by the name of anthony blum and he cheated a local priest out of $5,000. You oh, see, come on. What Blum, kind of a guy is Well, this? he had uh, conned Father Arthur de Brucher into investing into a gold mine that was obviously a sure thing in Gleason, Arizona. Mm-hmm. Well, as these things happened, the, uh, the mine didn't pan out. So the priest filed suit alleging fraud and misrepresentation. Well, for a couple of years, Blum uh, was able to avoid uh, going to trial. He, for one reason or another, and after he'd exhausted all his excuses, they went to trial in Tombstone. Now, picture this, Ed. Blum was on the stand, getting ready to testify, when suddenly he slumped forward, clutching his chest. Okay, got the picture? He had a heart attack. Well, his personal physician, who just happened to be in the courtroom... rushed forward, examined him, and pronounced sadly that there was no hope. Blum was going to die. He'd be dead within a few minutes. Well, as he lay dying... Blum pleaded for a priest to make his death confession. You've got to be kidding And administer the last rites. Here he comes. The only clergy close by and in the courtroom was Father DeBrucher. Okay, you can probably tell where this is going. I think I see the yellow brick road. Okay, the court gave the priest permission to proceed over to Blum's, hear Blum's confession and administer absolution. So after these actions uh, taken place under the, uh, the priest under the seal of the confession, and which said he could never reveal what Blum told him. Oh, my all golly. Right? But, but, Zeb, a miracle happened. 
What happened? A miracle. What happened? Apparently, Blum's confession had cleared his conscience and his heart attack. Uh huh. He immediately regained his health. His doctor examined him and pronounced him fit to go home. And they now, could, they couldn't now, touch now, him. Now wait a minute. The trial was put on hold for another year. Oh, my goodness. But since the priest could no longer testify and there were no other witnesses to the scheme, Blum was free to go. The priest was chastised by the church and lost $5,000. The next guy, Cyclone Bill. Wait a minute. Stop for a minute. That, That guy, honestly, even though he's a crook with criminal intent and everything, pretty sharp. Well, you know, he had things figured out. Yeah, I would say. Did. Yeah. What What did the judge do during all this? I, I don't know. Probably just sat there and watched the whole thing take place. Wow. I don't know. So the next guy, Cyclone Bill. Oh, boy. He was kind of a shyster, well-known uh, to the bartenders around Arizona, and he had actually studied law in Texas. He became a lawyer, but he didn't practice very long. Uh, he claimed his first client was a cowboy charged with stealing cows and assigned him to be the, uh, the, the uh, attorney on the job. And he said that, quote, that cow thief took one look at me and said, Your Honor, I plead guilty. He went on to say, so I quit practicing law and went to punching cows. So he quit. But somewhere along the line, uh, Cyclone had been shot in the leg, and the wound left him with one leg considerably shorter than the other one. <laughs> so depending on which leg he was standing on, he could be tall or he could be short. He could be real short. <laughs> yeah. Now, the old-timers around uh, Clifton tell about the time he bellied up to the bar in, uh, uh, in, on Chase Street, and standing on his short leg, yeah. he shouted to the bartender, quote, Bartender, drinks for the house. Okay, so drinks were served all around everybody, and while the bartender was distracted, distracted, old Cyclo Bill, he uh, moved to the other end of the bar and stood among some other uh, uh, drinkers, and uh, so the short man was nowhere to be found. Uh, So now he's standing tall, okay? There's the short man that ordered the drinks. I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha, you. Gotcha. <laughs> he moved down the bar. Now he's tall. And the, bar, the bartender says, where's the little scalawag who ordered drinks for the house? <laughs> no one said a word. Well, uh, his real name was William Abe Beck, uh, but everyone called him Cyclone Bill. Now, he claimed the nickname after the railroad reached Yuma in 1877, and there was a lot of money to be made hauling freight by mule team. So he was hired by a freight company to haul a load of goods from Yuma to the old Pueblo. Now, Beck, the the freight wagon, and the uh, mules never reached their destination. All had mysteriously vanished. Well, a year later, he showed up in Tucson without the rig, without uh, the mules, the wagon, or any of the goods. He met with the owner, who said, what happened? Where's, where's my wagon? Where's my 10-mule team? So Bill claimed that somewhere between Tucson and Yuma, a giant cyclone came roaring down, swallowed the mules, this is too good to the be wagon, and himself, whirling them high in the sky and dropped them back to earth somewhere in Kansas. Where's Toto? (laughs) He says he vaguely recalled the wild wind blowing him in an eastward direction. So he headed west for about a year until he got back to Tucson. 
So in court, Bill swore he had no idea what happened to the mules, the wagon, and the freight, and that he was just lucky to be alive. However, the judge was not very sympathetic towards his tale of a cyclone, and he ended up in jail and the nickname Cyclone Bill. You've got to be kidding me. So that must have been one heck of a cyclone. You've got two good ones To take you from Arizona to Kansas, you know? He thought he, he actually told the judge. Yeah. Yep. So, okay. have you got another one as good uh, as the first two? Well, I, I think you might like this one oh, too. Okay. So this what this again happened in Arizona. It was a train robbery, and it took place five miles west of Wilcox, Arizona. I've been there. You've been there. Yep. So this was January thirtieth, eighteen ninety-five. Two cowboys, one named Joe George and Grant Wheeler decided that uh, they needed to elevate their station in life uh, monetarily by robbing the Southern Pacific Railroad. This is not a smart thing. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Neither had ever robbed a train before. <laughs> they didn't read the book? <laughs> there was no manual, or, whatever. or they didn't take any, anyway, any lessons. So this is going to be on-the-job training. I see. So the cowboys uh, that uh, wanted to be train robbers purchased a box of dynamite. This is like Butch Cassidy yeah. and the Sundance Kid. Oh, yeah. They got this uh, at, a, at a business in Wilcox, uh, and they told the business owner they were going prospecting. So, you know, they needed the dynamite. Well, they deposited their blasting powder and hobbled their horses about seven miles west of town, and then they walked a couple of miles back to meet the train. Now, west of Wilcox, there's a grade where the train has to slow down. And while it was slowing, slowed down, they, they jumped on board, and they were able to persuade the uh, engineer to stop the train. Of course, they had Colt 45 revolvers that helped with their persuasion. Uh, one of the outlaws jumped down. He uncoupled the passenger's car and signaled the engineer to pull forward with the mail and the baggage cars to where the dynamite was stashed. So now they're, they've moved up the track a ways to where their dynamite is. And all the people are left back, yeah, they're uncoupled. Left back, yeah, they're left back behind. Okay. So they broke into the express car, and there was a Wells Fargo messenger, but he had slipped out the door and headed back down where the passenger cars were. So he got out of there. He just got out of there. Okay. He, I guess he could see the writing on the wall yep. and didn't want to get shot or killed. Yeah, he saw a four-letter word that said, boom. Uh, yeah, right. And so he left. <laughs> so now picture this. Inside the express car were two safes. Yeah. One was a small, kind of uh, fragile-looking lockbox, and the other was a real sturdy Wells Fargo safe. You know, the big metal. Yeah, the big dude. Oh, yeah. yeah. And lying nearby on the floor were several sacks full of Mexican silver dollars. Now, at that time, Mexican silver dollars were about the same value as U.S. silver dollars. Really? So here's these bags of Mexican silver dollars just laying there. All right? And just, just, just laying there. Okay, now, so Wheeler and George placed a few sticks of dynamite around the two safes. Oh, my goodness. They lit the fuses, jumped out the door, landed on the ground. They're covering their heads with their arms. Now, the first blast destroyed the door on the little safe, the fragile one. But it didn't do anything to the Wells Fargo safe. Really? Because it was, like I said, the big heavy duty. Oh, my. So they tried again. This time... uh, They went in again? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're not done. So this time they added a few extra sticks of dynamite oh just boy. for good measure. Oh boy. Once again, they jumped out of the car. They hit the dirt. They covered their heads with their arms. And when the smoke cleared, the big safe 
was still not hurt. Two times. Twice. The big safe still not even... What about all the silver coins? They must have been spread from... Now, now wait a minute, Zeb. You're getting ahead of me. Well, I'm worried about them. (laughs) Okay. We'll get to those. (laughs) You'll see right here. Okay. They were a little frustrated by now. I see. Okay. So, they piled the rest of the blasting sticks around the safe. The rest of them? Yeah. Oh, my God. Now, here's the dumb part, Zeb, which you just alluded to. They packed eight bags of Mexican silver dollars on top of the dynamite. They struck a match, lit the fuse, and they headed for cover. Well, the blast shook the ground all around. The entire express car was blown to splinters. Uh, pieces of lumber and 1,000 silver pesos were flung far and wide. Uh, so it's kind of a miracle that the outlaws even survived the blast. So as you just uh, made, uh, you know, here's these silver missiles flying through the air, going all around, you know, these outlaws. Well, when the smoke cleared, the two outlaws found that the safe door had been blown open. On the Wells Fargo safe. And inside, they found a few dollars. You're kidding me. <laughs> That's all they found. That's all they found? The real treasure was the Mexican silver pesos. Over $1,000, Mex- right? Yeah. And they were scattered all over the countryside. Oh, yeah. I mean, with all that dynamite. Well, the outlaws stuffed a few uh, dollars into their bags, and they rode off into the night. But when the train backed into town, uh, rather than uh, forming a posse, most of the citizens just stampeded out to where the blast and the crime took place, and they went to looking for silver dollars. Really? So for several years afterwards, they'd, people would find silver dollars, you know, probably within 50 to 7,500 yards. Oh, easy or more. that, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say Topeka, Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so those guys were never found. And they didn't catch them? No. Never caught him. Wow. So, well, what happened while the people were in the car just down the tracks? Didn't anybody try to stop these guys? I, I, I'm thinking they were far enough away. They decided to just wait and see what happened. They probably figured there was a robbery going place, Duh. going on. So here's another one called Russian Bill. Okay. Okay. Now, you know, dime novels back in the Old West, they romanticized the outlaws of the Old West. And some people, you know, really thought this was a great thing to become a, a romanticized outlaw. And these were read by foreigners, too, over in Europe. So the books even inspired a few people to want to go west and become an outlaw. Uh, for some, it was not a good business decision. One of Arizona's uh, most uh, kind of exotic outlaws was William Tattenbaum. He was a young Russian officer in the Tsar's army, and he'd read all these books about the Old West, and that just really appealed to him. So he deserted the army in Russia and came to America to become an outlaw. He arrived in Tombstone, Arizona in 1881. He went into the nearest store and bought all the new cowboy clothes, you know, the fancy schmancy hat and the boots and the clothes and everything. So when they asked him his name, he said, they call me Russian Bill. Russian Bill. <laughs> well, so he was a bit of a novelty in Tombstone. He tried to act like an outlaw, you know, but he was not taken seriously. I mean, the people, you know, they knew he was not what he was trying to be. What did he do for a living? Well, 
he must have had some money when he got there. I see. So, but he was this tall, good-looking guy, curly-headed, blonde. He spoke several languages. He was quite intelligent, but uh, he still felt like a phony. So, but he was hanging out with some some pretty rough characters, some pretty rough outlaws. But he'd never committed a crime. So he figured he had to do something to establish his reputation as an outlaw. Uh, he was an amateur, and he set to work, and he rustled a few cows. Oh, my. And, you know, but again, being an amateur, he was captured. He was thrown into jail in a place called Shakespeare, New Mexico. And there he was reunited with a friend from Tombstone named Sandy King. Well, there was a vigilante committee, and they decided the two men had to hang. I don't know what Sandy did, but uh, anyway, Bill and Sandy were placed on the horses, and they were hung from the beams of the dining hall of the Grant Hotel, which also served as the station for the stage line. Oh, my. So the next morning when the stage arrived, the passengers got off. They went in for breakfast, and they were greeted by two dead outlaws. Hanging from the hanging beams? from the rafters. Oh, my goodness. Yes. That'd spoil your eggs. It would. Well, now, uh, Bill's mother back in uh, Moscow, Russia, Russia, wanted to know the circumstances surrounding her son's death. And she was told that he died of a shortage of breath while at a high altitude. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the story. Of Russian of Bill. Russian Bill. You know, now, that is amazing. She was over in Russia yeah. and got word somehow that, old that he was dead. Bill died yeah, from a lack Bill. of oxygen. Yeah. Holy cow. From a high, a high, at a high, high altitude. altitude. Yeah. I don't know where you got those, but those are really some good stories. Yeah. There's some others here that, uh, you know, that are pretty interesting. But uh, Are they verified stories? Well... I believe they are, because, uh, you know, the author of this book, he writes for True West Magazine. And, I see. And I think he pretty well uh, has a good hold on the history. You know, it makes you wonder in the Old West, and I was watching a movie the other night and about the drifters and everything and they, where they got their money. I'm sure maybe they did some day work at ranches or whatever. But, you know, back in those days, just drifting from town to town and not really having any money or any way to support themselves or buy food or bullets even, kind of wonder what they did. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's there's a story I told another story here oh, a couple of years ago about a guy named George Ruffner that, that I used in this book here. Yeah. Uh, Texas John Slaughter. Oh, I know about him. He had a TV show after him. Okay, and let's see. He was that yeah. sheriff. Yeah. Yeah. Texas John Slaughter. Yeah. But uh, anyway, some pretty interesting stories uh, about some outlaws that I'm going to guess most people have never never heard of. Uh, you know, I loved here. every one of those. They were really, really good stories. What are you studying for next week? Uh, you know, I've actually come up with about three more stories to come up with for the next month. And really? I can't remember a single one of them. <laughs> well, uh, age, of course, you're an old man now. Yeah, well, what can I say? <laughs> But I know I've got several ready to go. All you got to do is find them. I just, you can't I remember just, what you did with them. I can't remember which book they're in, but they're there somewhere. You know, on the people that send you all these notices and everything that they listen to the program, uh, do a lot of them respond and follow up with a lot of the stories and everything? Uh, I usually, I always write back to people who write to me and uh, let them know I appreciate their comments and their suggestions. 
So, uh, and yeah, we go back and forth. Like uh, Dennis and Roxy over there by Lake Tahoe in that area. Oh, really? They've invited me over. He knows a lot of the history of that area. And uh, if I get over that direction, there are several people uh, that I know. Uh, another family, they invited me to stay at their house and take me on a tour over in Virginia City. Uh, now, that would be, that'd be fun. Yeah. That would be fun. Yeah. So uh, we have some great people, of, you know, uh, over there in Wyoming, uh, Therm- Thermopolis. You know, we were yep. invited to go over yep. there. Yep. And if I get that way, I'm definitely going to look up the people there that invited us and, and uh, uh, have them give us a tour. Give Ladies tour. and gentlemen, every week on Tuesdays at 10.06, it's the man, Dr. History.